0: Welcome everyone back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruins Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24/7 Sports Network, and Tracy Pearson is currently trapped under something heavy, so I have picked up a beautiful Some, man.
1: Something <laughs> heavy.
0: <laughs> Brandon Huffman, the great Brandon Huffman. What's your title these days here at 24/7 Sports, Brandon?
1: You know what? I will always be sidekick to David Woods. That's what my co-host
0: of the broadcast. The, co-host the, host of the broadcast, Brandon Huffman.
1: The second co-host of the broadcast. Who was that first guy again? What was his name? John. 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 I don't know. Some kind of like weight measurement or good. Go. <laughs> Go. John Goat. No. John
0: Goat. John Goat. John, that's what it
1: was. John Goat. Do yeah.
0: you know that was ten years ago when I started recording this with uh with John Gold? It was it was Mora's first like off season.
1: You know, I think you have a tie, Dave. Because all three of your co-hosts have been eight hundred five guys.
0: I'm just a valley girl in my valley gr- world.
1: Although well, I guess is, is it Orange County guy?
0: Is it messed up that I refer to everything basically east of Ventura as the Valley?
1: Oh no, I basically refer anything that's once you get up the Caneo, Grade, I consider that all Valley.
0: Yeah, basically, if you're between Ventura and Pasadena, and you're south of like I don't know. Bakersfield, and you're north of Sepulveda Pass. You're in the Valley. Sorry, buddy. 100%. Yeah. Um, we've got – I won't say a lot to talk about today, Brandon, but we have some, some things to talk about. So if you if you haven't noticed, it's, it's a bit of a – this is maybe the slowest that things get, which isn't, like, intensely slow. There's still visits happening and everything, but it's a little slow. Um, so what we've got on tap is um, – So camp season is happening right now. Um, UCLA had its elite camp this past weekend, which we'll talk about. And then they're going to have several other camps um, for, you know, smaller groups um, throughout the month. Um, We want to talk about that. Uh, I wanted to get Brandon's impressions of the new staff so far on the recruiting trail. Um, And then kind of building on that, um, our broader perspective on, uh the potential remaining for Chip Kelly at UCLA based on what's been going on. So does that sound like a tight show to everyone
1: out there? Got it. Tight to me.
0: Yeah. So, Brandon, um, this past weekend was the UCLA elite camp. Um, I think the thing that um, because they still call them all the same things, um, it gets kind of lost on people. This isn't really – like the Jim Mora elite camps of yore, where you would see multiple like high level guys getting their first offers and all that kind of stuff. It's just not quite
1: that same vibe. It's not. And I mean, a lot of that, A, has to do with the fact that that's kind of how UCLA approaches it, but also B that's kind of how camps are generally going these days in, you know, really anymore. You're you're not getting very many top elite players to go to any event and go to any camp at a college, unless they're A, committed, B, planning to just walk around and basically be recruited for four hours without actually participating. And C, when you've got so many events from January until the end of May, guys are burnt out, guys are tired. There's major events. You know, we we don't have the opening finals anymore. We have future 50, which is down to 50 guys. They, They still have the elite 11, but you've got like this week, overtime's doing a major seven on seven tournament in Las Vegas and guys are going out to Vegas to spend a week being lined and dined in Vegas by overtime. Why would they go to a college camp? So you're really seeing the caliber of elite player just wane all across the country from a lot of these camps. Yeah.
0: And it's kind of a pervasive thing across the board. And so like the thing is, and this is where I'm kind of drawing comparisons because speaking of that kind of 10 year mark, you know, Mora's first off season and especially that second off season, um, the UCLA camp was like an all campus affair too. Like you were, I think you might remember it, but it was you, Biggins, me, Tracy, I think several other people from scout all there because everyone was there. Like every single recruit who had a pulse was at that camp. Um, and they were doing it everywhere. They were on the IM field. They were on Spalding. They were on Drake. Like it was all over the place. And, um, Yeah, it's just not – it's not quite the same deal. But what UCLA is doing is some smaller stuff.
1: You know, I I remember that that camp you're talking to. Josh Rosen came to walk around. I don't think he worked out. There was – interestingly enough, at that same camp, there was this ginger from San Clemente who was there, who – he might have been actually playing linebacker at the camp, but threw the football a couple times (laughs) at that camp. And, uh, you know, I think he's in the NFL now. I can't remember. He – he, he, too, played some good games at the Rose Bowl.
0: Um, <laughs> Arnold? But, Is his name Arnold? Is Ar- that what it yeah. was?
1: Something like Bam Arnold. I don't know. He was there. Um, Adoree Jackson. <laughs> Bam Arnold? Never, Bam, Bam. I think he had a great TV show on Nickelodeon. Adoree Jackson was there. I, I know I'm bringing up USC people. But, like, those are the caliber players that you had. Like, Adoree Jackson came wearing a backpack. Jalil Wadud, who was already committed at the time, he was there. I mean, you had the majority of the class. Go back to the year before. You know, I want to talk about that one. I remember at that particular camp, it was Morris' first ever summer camp, and there was this kind of chubby defensive lineman from Fontana that was there, or Rialto, who was there, and UCLA hadn't offered him yet. And that guy is now, I think, the highest-paid interior defensive lineman in the NFL. At that same camp, there was a sophomore junior-to-be from Dallas, Texas, who ended up being the number three pick in the draft, ended up going to Stanford. But, like – Early on, those Mora camps had absolute dudes that were there. And then remember, they also had like seven-on-seven seven tournaments. We, we all single-handedly watched Eddie Prince's recruitment with UCLA come to a halt <laughs> when Noel Mazzoni and Jim Mora spent the entire game with their back turned to his team while watching Hayden Reddick play. I mean, those were the days of the good camps.
0: That was beautiful. And do you, I remember the immortal words of Greg Biggins to, I think it must have been Mora afterwards, Uh, Speaking about Eddie Prince, because Mora hadn't watched him at all. And so he's like, oh, how do you look? And uh, Bigan said, he can't spin it. He can't
1: spin it. But, but, again, I think people need to understand, too, that while you might not see the caliber of names at the camps like you did back then, that's just college football in general. And the reality is NIL is driving. And we can get into this another day when Tracy's trapped under a heavy object. NIL has changed the game of – recruits even going to campus i mean there's some schools that if you're not making sure the nil collective is getting that kid on campus they're not going to come to campus let alone participate so you you know ucla had a good number of guys but not one offer went out after that camp that's a far cry than what the camps used to be where hey, come to camp come work out for us at our elite camp you might get an offer but that's not the only thing i think You know, UCLA has a different strategy, and it's worked in previous years. You know, USC has their big Rising Stars camp, but then, you know, UCLA does something similar. They have these smaller camps. They call them the kind of the jersey camps where it's a little bit more select. It's not as wide open, and those are the guys that they really want to come work out, and that's where you see a good chunk of offers come from.
0: Yeah, and so that's the kind of stuff where we will have – I mean, I don't know if we're going to have like necessarily in-person coverage of a lot of that stuff because they're more than likely going to make those more intimate affairs. But that's where you're going to see offers coming out mm-hmm. this this month. Um, it's going to be from that stuff where – and also, like the the bigger camp environment, it's also – it's kind of hard to get a look at some guys, especially just because the quantity of people, all the different people getting reps. Smaller stuff you can get a little bit more focused from a coaching perspective and, and focus on these guys a little bit more so you can dole out those offers. So we'll have more stuff uh from throughout the month about um kind of the camp plan and, and everything going on there. Um, but Brandon, what I really wanted to focus on today, here on this beautiful podcast on this wonderful Thursday afternoon. You're listening to this on Friday morning because I'm not putting it up till then, but don't worry about that. Um is uh, kind of your impressions of this staff so far, because um, UCLA's obviously had a ton of changeover, uh, especially this past offseason, uh, especially on the defensive side. Uh, we've talked, Tracy and I have talked at length about Ken Norton's impact, um, which I think is obvious and apparent. But um, what, what's your general sense of this crew that they've got now? Because it seems like there's definitely a different vibe the UCLA's recruiting, at least in, at particular position groups.
1: Yeah, I think you look at two of the the position groups where UCLA really needed kind of a jolt to recruiting or the offensive line and at linebacker. Now, interestingly enough, you know, Justin Fry had some good classes, guys, that he got. Obviously, Sean Ryan, getting an Alec Anderson, and even the 2021 class that he signed with guys like Thomas Cole, Noah Pula'i, now I know Thomas Cole wasn't out there at all for spring ball, Noah Pula'ii was, there were still some good players, but there was never like a big class, there never seemed to be a huge focus on bringing in a number of linemen, and they obviously hit it well with a couple of grad transfers and transfer portals, but linebacker recruiting had clearly been an issue, and I think, you know, kind of in one fell swoop, not only do you get an upgrade at linebacker recruiting, you, you know, start to get, a very good caliber of linebacker. You know, it's one thing to get a couple bodies. It's one thing to get impact bodies. UCLA was kind of content just to get bodies at linebacker. Now they're not just getting bodies they are getting impact type players. And that's a direct result of Ken Norton. And, you know, there's a lot of good positive feedback coming about Bill McGovern too. Guys tend to like him. I think when you have a long history of being in the NFL that tends to play well with recruits, but when you have a name like Ken Norton, I mean, you know, none of these kids remember Ken Norton, the player. None of these kids remember Ken Norton playing at UCLA or with the Cowboys or the 49ers. But they do know that he's been a defense coordinator at two different NFL teams in the last decade. And that's a name that resonates with a lot of these recruits. So you get an upgrade there. You get a guy who's willing to actually recruit and can land them. That's a huge part, especially when the linebacking core out West hasn't been as strong. But where I really think, and I think if you look at offensive line recruiting, Sure, UCLA may not be in on any elite tackles or elite linemen. There really aren't a lot of elite tackles or linemen in the West this year. But there's, I believe, almost a dozen offers out to 2023 offensive linemen. I mean, there were years where UCLA, like last year, when they got the commitment from Sam Yoon early on, at that point, he was the only player in the in the state with the committable UCLA offer outside of Ernest Green, who never really was looking at UCLA. So you're, you're seeing Tim Drevno really making a push, getting those guys on campus. And I think there's, the, you know, the long-running joke on Bro has been, whenever we post these are the recruits coming to the game, where are the linemen? And that question has been asked since the beginning of time. One thing that we're seeing this spring is a lot of linemen coming in for official visits and UCLA being in the mix. Now, it's a matter of, can Tim Drevno close them that's the big question. Will he be able to close with them? But he at least has a plan. He's at least got a type. He's going after linemen. They're bringing those guys in for visits. Now it's just a matter of closing. At times, under the previous of offensive line coach, you wondered if there really was a plan.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the thing that stands out. There is that there. You know, there there does seem to be some sort of um, actual like concerted strategy. Um, it seems like they're actually you know. I don't know like so my big critique the entire time is that um like the effort didn't seem to be there um with particular guys and and uh, particular members of the staff, and that's not I don't think that's my critique now um based on what I'm seeing like it seems like they're they've got now a few guys who are really like strong recruiters who are putting in that effort you know it was funny you mentioned the Ken Norton thing so I gotta ask. When was the last time you heard a player say they grew up and Reggie Bush was their favorite player? Because it's got to be the last two years.
1: It's still happening. I mean, okay, keep this in mind. My daughter, my oldest daughter, was born in 2003. All right? She graduates high school next Saturday. So she's in the 2022 class that just signed. All right? The last game that Reggie Bush played at USC, my daughter, who's in the 2022 class, she's 18, would have been two years old and about a month and a half. Okay, <laughs> he last played a game six weeks before my son, who's a sophomore in high school, class of 2024, which a good chunk of these recruits are, six weeks before my son was born. All right, so <laughs> we're talking if guys in the 23 and 24 class were seeing Reggie Bush was their favorite college running back, they were literally watching him when they were a year old or somehow had x-ray vision or looking into their mother's stomach to watch them play. Like, I, I can't. Think, yes. There are no guys that sink. And I just do the math in my head and I'm like, how, how is that possible? <laughs> USC's had like 57 running backs since then.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, like, what are you going to be? You're not going to be like, a, like who have they had since then? That's been really good. Um,
1: well, Here's the other way I look at it. How many years did UCLA use the whole two-way player? Hey, UCLA wants to use me like Miles Jack. All right, that stopped in like 2017. Yeah, that was the thing. That
0: only lasted. And the thing is, and I don't mean to denigrate Reggie Bush, and this is going to sound like a guy who went to UCLA while Reggie Bush was tearing it up at USC. But what he did was nowhere near as cool as what Miles Jack did at UCLA. Right. Nowhere near. Miles Jack played both ways. And he was maybe the best running back on the team, the best linebacker on the team, maybe the best running back and the best linebacker in the Pac-12, and showed that on the field. Reggie Bush returned some punts and looked pretty good on, like, the best – on the best offense in, like, I don't know, recent history. I mean, what are are you going to do? Come
1: on. I mean, the other one, too, think about, like, Anthony Barr. Oh, they're going to bring me in so I can play like Anthony Barr. That stopped in, like, 2016, 2017.
0: They were so using I, that one, though, still pretty late. Like, oh, they, I'm going to play that Anthony Barr position. I'm like, Anthony Barr hasn't played there in three years, dude. What are you even talking about?
1: But that, but at least that had a shelf life. The whole, oh, Reggie Bush is my favorite college running back. I'm thinking, man, you've missed some pretty good college running backs in the last 10 years. You know, you've missed some <laughs> some pretty good football players in the last 10 years. Now, I, I do laugh when I hear some of these names of guys that are like, we're just playing in college football. Oh, he's my all-time favorite player. And I'm like... Bro, like he was good. Like one year where he might have been a candidate for the Thorpe Award. But dude, you got to tell me you can't tell me Derek Stingley's your favorite cornerback because after <laughs> Kyle Phillips murdered him on the field at the Rose Bowl, you yeah, need to just, stop having Derek Stingley, the 14 games he played in college, be your favorite.
0: He murdered him and left his like viscera, like left his left his like entrails out on the field.
1: I mean, Kyle Phillips basically beat the living sissy out of ed orgeron's team
0: yeah oh yeah yeah no beat be, beat them sissy blue who
1: mm-hmm. cool. interestingly enough did you see him on twitter last week wearing a light blue shirt with his uh 13 year old girlfriend
0: can i just say it looked good on him the the shirt not the 13 year old girlfriend
1: was he gonna come down and, and whip any was he gonna like go get his ass whipped what was it that he said um, I know it's hard. It's hard to understand what he's saying.
0: Yeah, no, it just how do you translate grunts from a rock man? Um,
1: Boy, we got yeah. topic. This is like old times, Dave.
0: Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, so yeah, I think. Uh, I think the general sense is uh, this staff is is uh, uh you know uh, uh, tend to, we're 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 what cautiously optimistic is that there, the there,
1: word there's reason for optimism and, yeah. and I would say you know again just even seeing kind of the the shift towards being open to spring official visits and then bringing in a good chunk of those guys, given, you know, a lot of guys are taking visits in June and not many were taking them in May. UCLA hosted what, 30 visits in June or in May. So I think that is a step in the right direction. And, you know, clearly director of player personnel, Ethan Young has had his fingerprints all over it and just kind of getting UCLA up to speed. There's still a lot of work that can be done. But there's a they're trending in the right direction. And I think a couple of those hires were, were made, you know, and we didn't even talk about it. And in, in, in check, like, you know, T.A. Cunningham, Did, people saw the article on Bro this week where T.A. Cunningham talked about UCLA. I mean, he's the number one defensive lineman in the country in twenty twenty four. He's from Georgia. He's a top ten player in the nation. And. Without even being prompted, I just asked him, "What were your, t-, you know, who are your top schools?" I was doing an article for the Polynesian Bowl, and he'd mentioned UCLA in there with like a who's who of who's been good in college football. And then specifically said, you know, people might think I'm not really, you know, UCLA might not be a school, but I, the relationships there have them in that. And that's all Kaka Malloy and Chaka And those guys aren't just connected in Utah and the Northwest and in Hawaii, kind of where they're from. They're recruiting guys nationally. So you're you're clearly seeing, I mean, there's still occasional, why is UCLA offering Samson Okolola this late when he's got 50 other offers? But in years past, UCLA wouldn't even offer the number one lineman in the state, let alone number one lineman in the country.
0: Yeah, there's a little bit more of like throwing your hat in the ring and seeing what happens. And the thing is that UCLA, when you see what happens, sometimes – Things that happen are pretty good. Like, I mean, Trey Edwards and Roderick Robinson. OK, well, the simple fact that you had spring official visits meant those guys had the opportunity to see the school and commit early. Now, does an early commit mean everything? No. I mean, they're still going to get recruited. Guys are still going to get recruited. But it does mean a lot. I would say most guys who commit early, they end up signing with that school. Like, it's not like I mean, it's it. it there's real value in it. So it's really great to see them adapting Um you know maybe belatedly but whatever we'll take it at this point um and so yeah i mean i was and that's kind of you know i, I and this might be just, just um you know my return to to like doing a lot of this in person but um the maybe a little bit of the proximity to it, but like, yeah, I'm a little bit more optimistic just about the, and this will lead into what we're talking about next, but the general trend lines, you know, having observed spring practice and then seeing, you know, the way they've been recruiting, the way they've adapted their recruiting to kind of the new realities. Pretty good. I mean, it's, uh, I I mean, uh, you, I think, I think if you're looking at it without, you know, preconceived notions, and if you can, you know, just kind of wipe out what happened the last three, four years, and you just look at it from well how are they doing right now uh it's pretty good and then if you consider the last few years i and this is kind of one of my points i made this last week but i think just it's kind of um, solidified a little bit more for me this does not have the feel of a program that is dead in the water you know we've we've seen so many UCLA staffs over the years um that by their you know fourth fifth year um recruiting's dead because they have no they've just got no juice in that area anymore. It's between right. they're not, they're not working as hard because they know they're going to get fired or they have no pull with any of the local high schools or any of the, you know, big time, you know, seven on seven programs, whatever it is, they just no longer have any juice. I mean, hiring Ken Norton, hiring a bunch of these guys on the defensive side who have actual recruiting acumen, but just across the board, it still seems like this staff has juice and pull and I, and their pitch and this is the thing that I think has kind of shocked me the most about reading some of these um, uh, visit reports is their pitch seems to be resonating too. Like so many times you read the report and it's like, Oh, I really like the vibe on campus. You know, I really like the players on the team, but no, these guys are referring to like the specific pitch that UCLA is giving them, which, you know, that resonates with them because these are 17 year olds. Like they have the attention span of a gnat. And so for them to actually be, hearing the pitch and getting it enough to convey it to then reporters. I don't know. That's impressive.
1: Books and ball. That's a catchphrase that I've heard a number of visitors say after their visit to UCLA, they talk about books and ball. And that's what the UCLA coaches. And again, you know, one thing that, you know, this has been going on since the beginning of time that, for a school that seems to pride itself on its academic prowessness, or whatever it was that Jimmy Lake said about Oregon, uh, <laughs> with, for a school that prides itself on that, it never fully committed to being Stanford, but it kind of acted like it was Stanford. And there were guys that you're know, clearly that's not an academic, that kid's not getting into the school, they would still offer. But I am noticing this year there is a kind of a bigger trend line towards guys that there, there's a lot of crossover with who Stanford's recruiting and i think that you know that hey right now stanford isn't a bad recruiting opponent to have because there is seemingly kind of what we've been used to with ucla towards the end of regimes where wow they're not getting the traction that they used to and there's a lot of crossover in who ucla is offered but i i think the, the the pushing of the books and ball is something that's resonating with a lot of these recruits and i think their strategy is working i think their pitch is working I think it doesn't hurt that UCLA had the most players drafted in the Pac-12 this last year or second most or whatever it was that they ranked. But, you know, it's clearly showing that there has been a trend upwards from Chip Kelly's first season to season number four. It's a matter of and obviously the transfer portal is here to stay and UCLA will continue to recruit in it. But it doesn't seem like there has been the sole reliance to just go to the portal. There has been a bigger effort put in high school recruiting this year than there has been in previous years, and I think that that's a positive. That if other schools are going to just focus on the portal, then UCLA can kind of recapture some of that magic. But it's definitely working, and there's they're still very selective in who they offer, and they're really selective in how many offers that go out. But at least there seems to be better results now.
0: Yeah, and and that's. Um... Yeah, that's a credit to them. So I guess the, the big question, because we're – is it four years? Wow. Four years in now, four seasons. Um, Chip Kelly finally had a decent enough year last year, but it was three really bad years. Um, I was really still pretty down on the potential for the program after – like immediately after the season just because, you know, especially right after the season when it felt like Dorian Thompson-Robinson was also going to leave, Zach Rene was going to leave, and it was going to be a pure rebuild. Um, now, you know, first, there's some circumstances that play into it. Uh, they've got this schedule coming up. That's basically like three games against you and me and like nine friends, um, like three consecutive games against you and me and nine friends and not you and me when we were young, but like you and me now, you and me like right now, um, and nine friends who are like our peers, that's what they're playing against in the first three games, um, so they've got that. But even on top of that, um, you know, they're, they've they've managed to retain Dorian Thompson Robinson, Zach Charbonnet. They're going to have some offensive line issues. Um, but I think the defense is going to be better. I don't know if it's going to be great, but it's going to be better. But I guess from the recruiting angle with the amount of life they're showing on the recruiting trail, what's I don't know, what's your take on the potential for Chip Kelly to actually make this thing work in a very, very. Rare situation where after year four of basically being a failed uh, regime, making it happen.
1: I first want to say, do you realize that Dorian Thompson Robinson's recruitment with UCLA started when Marcus Tuya Sopo was the quarterback's coach? And I think he got his first offer from Tui as the quarterback coach, and Kennedy Palomalu was the offensive coordinator. <laughs> so think about. How many OCs and quarterback coaches there have been since that time?
0: Oh, my God. What a what a poll, Brandon.
1: Thank you. And because I was so busy trying to figure out who the quarterback coach was, I completely missed your question. So could you please ask it again?
0: Brandon, my question is, how how optimistic are you about Chip Kelly's ability to actually turn this around? I given think given what we've seen.
1: Yeah, I I think it's definitely, I think schedule plays a big factor into that. I also think the rest of the Pac-12 South is, with the exception of SC and Utah, is such a disaster. Yeah, Arizona's trending in the right way, but I think Kevin Sumlin's in such a crater that, you know, there's still another year or two from climbing out of that. Arizona State, we hardly knew ye. Colorado. Well, you and I both have been had many a snarky text about watching that thing fall apart before it even Mm. began. Um, You know, I'm not saying that if Luke Fickle hadn't been the head coach at Cincinnati, that things may have turned out differently in 2018 and 2019. But I think in retrospect, those really the only bad non-conference loss in those first three years for or first two years for Chip Kelly was kind of the inexcusable loss to San Diego State. But both those Cincinnati losses were coming to a team that was clearly the class of the G5. Obviously, Oklahoma made it to the playoffs both the years. Both the years that UCLA lost to them, and I'm trying to remember what was the other non-conference game. They lost to San Diego State. They had another Fresno loss. State. Fresno State. Okay, yeah, yeah. That Fresno State. What was that? A 2018. Yep. So, and I think Tedford was the head coach then. So, I mean, they're there were some that you didn't at least go, my gosh, those were horrible programs. Even San Diego State was, was decent the year that and they may have even won the Mountain West or been a, a Mountain West championship game contender, but maybe those those seasons turn out a bit different. Um, there, there's definitely enough positive, And now they're going to, if they're not 3 0 coming out of this non conference schedule, then everything I say right now is going to be null and void. And they are clearly a disaster if they lose any of those. Okay,
0: let, let me, look, I'm going to lay down the gauntlet if any of those three games um, they win by fewer than double digits, uh, that's a loss.
1: Yes. A hundred percent. Like they,
0: I'm, I'm I'm telling you, so Bowling Green returned a lot, but they're not going to be good. They should. Urban Meyer be good. does
1: not coach them anymore.
0: Right. Um, and then South Alabama and Alabama state. I mean, those should be pure blowouts. Uh, yep. Frankly, like the first five games of the year, they shouldn't, th- those games shouldn't be that close. Um, so I, I think there is some, you know, I, I think we have to we have to keep our brains screwed on. OK, everyone, I'm counting on you. Like I'm, I'm willing to be optimistic, but I'm counting on you to keep your brain screwed on, which is um, just there's going to be a qualitative difference between uh, like a pretty good five and zero and a pretty bad five and zero. If they're yeah. like squeaking these ones out, that's not great. And it's probably not going to bode well for the end of the season. Like you're probably looking at an eight and four year. Um, so let's not, let's not get out over our skis, um, you know, in the words of uh, somebody from Pulp Fiction, which I can't say, let's not start, you know, doing something to each other that's friendly in some circumstances. Um, so, but let's just, let's just keep our heads screwed on. Okay. Cause yeah. I think it's going to, it's going to start good no matter what. And if it starts really bad, well, that'll be funny too. Um, but it's just a question of, is it, is it actually good or is it just because of the schedule?
1: Well, and I think it might be a combination of the two. I think the schedule is much more forgiving for them to come out 5-0, and then you look at that back half of the season. I mean, there's no reason to think they can't win three of those games on the back end. And obviously, the home game with Utah is going to be key. The game with Oregon, who they're introducing a new quarterback of their own with a first time real, you know, first time head coach. Um, obviously, USC will be a completely different team than the one UCLA just played, but it's not unrealistic to think that you know UCLA could be nine and three and ten and two and trending upwards, and you're not having to rush a Ethan Garbers or really a Justin Martin, in and it still gives another year of Ethan Garbers to you know potentially still buy this time but be ready to roll in 2023. So I think Dorian Thompson Robinson gives them a, a nice advantage this year where. If they go eight and four, nine and three again, and those four losses aren't bad losses, and you know they go to a decent bowl game, I think you can continue to see them trending up because recruiting, like you said, has not stagnated. It's actually been pretty promising, and you're dealing with the off-season hype across town that has reached you know fever levels, not really probably since the two thousand and four, two thousand and three season. Has there been this much excitement at USC that UCLA's had to deal with? I mean, granted, that was the beginning of the Pete Carroll run uh, of championships. But I think if they can still go 9-3 and three this year, go to a ball, you know, recruiting, not everybody's going to be able to go to SC. That is true. Although nowadays with the counters, maybe they all can go there.
0: Maybe they can. Yeah, I mean, I think – Someday soon, the NCAA is going to fall apart, and they'll be able to offer, like, 150 um, But that day is not today, and the money is not unlimited. So, all right. Well, I think, speaking for Brandon, um, we're both uh, in cautious optimism land. It's a, it's a foreign land for me. I haven't been there in many years, but um, that's where I am right now. Cautious optimism. Because what else are you going to do? They extended Chip Kelly. I mean, it's not like we can all just sit here being like, oh, well. If they lose, at least they're going to fire him. They probably won't. I mean, unless they had a really awful year, they just gave him an extension. So it's going to be one way or the other. So let's let's be cautiously optimistic. Let's uh let's let's think good thoughts. What the hell? It can't hurt. Um, all right, Brandon. Well, this was a tight show, a tight, um, firm, um, concise, uh, thirty-two minutes. I'm pretty excited about that. We did well. All right. Well, you have anything else you want to say? I just anything want else to, say, to sign off
1: on? It was good to be here. It's good to be anywhere. But you know what? For all the bro folks out there, I hope you enjoyed the clacking sound that returned only when I'm on the broadcast. Because speaking of efficient, speaking of concise, there is still always work to be done. I yeah. did not get extended in this offseason. So I'm always having to play like my contract's up for debate.
0: That's right. No, he's he every day's a job interview for Brandon Huffman. Every Better day. I believe it. That's right. That's why he works twenty-four seven. Phew. You see what I did there? I like it. It was really good. Um all right. Well, for Brandon Huffman, beautiful Brandon Huffman, the great Brandon Huffman, King of Kings, Brandon Huffman. I'm David Woods. Rune Report online, and we'll talk to you again next time.